0: Hey everybody, episode 29, almost to 30, and it's been been over a month. I just run out of time and sometimes don't have enough stuff that I think is important enough to talk about. So I'm working through over a year since I started this little thing, and uh, let's get rolling. So first today is, just found out today that... Uh, one of the legends in the tennis world passed away, Nick Bollettieri. So, if you're, well, if you're my age, and you're playing tennis today, you're probably playing in some form because of Nick Bollettieri. If you don't know who he is, Google him. But to me, he was the first tennis coach. He was the first promoter of tennis and coached dozens of top players, number ones, including my all-time favorite player, Andre Agassi. And Bolletieri was a promoter, he was a coach, he grew the game like I don't know anybody else has ever done, probably maybe Billie Jean King or that type of person, but he started the his academy in Florida and created what is now commonplace in the world of tennis academies across the world, where people go to train to be professional tennis players, and now even more than that, going to camps and those type of things, but um, he's a legend, and one quick story, um, getting to meet Bala once in my life was a, a highlight So I'm in Palm Springs, Springs, California with my brother for a a USPTA conference many years ago. We were young. um, And so we're, we're walking through, I think it was the La Quinta Resort. And it's all these little... It wasn't hotel style. It was kind of little houses. And you had your own. And so you didn't have this high rise. But it's very sprawled out. My brother and I are walking to the main court to hear Bolliteri give a presentation. He was the main speaker. So we're walking around and it's kind of a maze to get where you're going and we're lost. And as we're walking, here comes Nick Bolliteri, the guy we're going to listen to and like I mentioned, just a a legend in our mind. So he walks up to us and tells us, and I, I may have some of this wrong, but he tells us that he's lost as well. And he asks us if we could help him get to the main stadium court where he's speaking. And we're, absolutely, let's let's see if we can get you there. So we got to walk just five or six minutes through this resort talking with Nick Bollateri trying to find a tennis court. And from what I recall, he was one of the nicest dudes, high energy, just easy to talk to even though we were kind of um, awestruck at this legend standing in front of us the two two kids from a small town in Indiana trying to make it in the tennis world get to spend a few minutes with Bolletary and so what I remember a lot of it is he's going on to speak on the stadium court in front of I don't know a couple hundred people he's the big draw and he's talking with us, and he shakes our hand, says "Nice to meet you guys," and he just walks onto the court. There's no preparation; he just goes. They hand him the mic, he just starts talking. He was unfazed by the stress of maybe being late, walking around. He just did it so much and was so good at it that he just he just walked on and just did his thing. And um, he's what a what a legend. He you can look up all the players that he coached. It's amazing what he did, and um, everybody playing now on the tour, I think, should be thankful to him because he, he started it all. But anyway, if you if you got some time, just look him up if you don't know who he is, and um, you'll learn quickly what his impact was on the, the tennis world. So, what have I been doing in the last month or so? Working a lot, trying to get up to speed with my new role at the WAC, and it's going well, I think. They haven't fired me yet. So, if you're out in that neighborhood and need some adult tennis or looking for a place to play, give me a call. Uh, It's pretty busy, but I would do my best. Um, I did want to discuss, because a lot of you know from some social media stuff, I uh, finally lost the battle of... I don't know. I'm 48, so probably been outside in my life on the tennis court since about eight, nine, ten years old. So I finally lost the battle with the sun that I've been waging, and ended up having to um, have some basal cell skin cancer removed. And uh, I had it once before on my on my shoulder, sort of. So I kind of knew what it was. But anytime, anytime the doctor uses that word to you it's a little um, disconcerting that's a big word I'm getting smarter I think this podcast is letting me use bigger words so I had to have some of that removed Um, took about seven hours if any of you have done the Mose surgery I don't know what it stands for assuming the s is surgery and the o is for oh that hurts um, I don't know what it stands for, but it took seven hours. I walked into the room at 9.30 in the morning, never left. Walked out at 4.30 and was pretty beat up. A uh, whole lot of stitches in my forehead and then just above my ear. The doctor told me I had a big hole in my face where the one of them was. It took her three cuts. Um, so if, uh, if you're like me and have spent your days in the sun, you're going to lose the battle. And as much as I did not want to get it taken care of because I'm a wimp and never really had any health issues, um, do it. I'm I'm can't say I'm glad I did it, but I know it was required to get rid of it. So I'm completely fine. Um, what I started thinking about was my my profession and others like what tennis coaches do, who are very much commission based and hours based and if you're not on the court you're not making money and my doctor told me I wasn't going to be on the court for two weeks and I said okay doc no problem so my not very smart mind decided I I made it about 12 hours and I went back on the pickleball court the next day for an hour and a half and uh, about 15 minutes left it's the pain started to hit me and I realized why she said that but in my line of work and other coaches we can't I can't go two weeks without walking on a tennis court unless my family wants to live in a box for the rest of the Christmas season so for us it's a grind what people like me do there's a lot of us and we just we can't do it it's just impossible and I just wonder how others do it and is there a better way for us to not be as reliant on those things? And um, so my two weeks was a good 12 hours, and then I never, never stopped. went back every day. Um, but totally fine. Got a couple of sweet scars. Um, the doctor did not think it was entertaining when I asked for a Harry Potter lightning bolt. Uh, didn't quite understand my uh, sense of humor. But uh, she did a good job. So, anyway, if you have anything like that, go get it checked out. I just think it's important, and um, I sure hope I don't have to do it again. So, starting with a little bit of ton of stuff, I read this series of books called The Gray Man. It's actually there's one, there's one. I think it's on Netflix or Amazon or one of those. So there's, there's one book out or movie out now based on the first book. It's basically about a a trained assassin uh, military-based guy named the Gray Man who can basically is sent in to do some bad things to bad people by the government. Again, it's just a book. It's a series. You can find it. um, It's written by a guy named Michael Devers. I think there's a dozen of them. So anyway, he goes out and he basically saves the world by himself. They call him the Gray Man because he blends in with everything. He has this sort of mantra he uses because he has to always sort of be ready to go whenever they call him in to do something at any moment he carries a a duffel bag with him with his his tools um he's trained in everything um so anyway he his mantra kind of is stay ready so you don't have to get ready and i love that because we're always telling our students to get ready get ready here it comes get ready And he talks about it's got to stay ready all the time. The right equipment, knowing what's happening, all those types of things. So I think it's a great idea when you're on the court is you're always prepared. You're not getting ready all the time. You are just staying in that situation of preparedness. And to me on the court, that means reading the court, scanning everything constantly, what's going on around you, what are your opponents doing, what's your partner doing, which way are they moving, are they prepared constantly monitoring your situation. Several years ago, I guess it's several now, um, yeah, it was pre, pre-COVID, probably three or four since it was after Moreland closed, I believe. Anyway, I decided I wanted to learn about the concealed carry world. And I know nothing about it. I'm not a hunter. I'm not a a weapons person. I just needed something to do and wanted something somewhat out of my experience and comfort zone, I guess. So I took a class uh, about concealed carry. It was probably three or four hours long. And the instructor talked so much about not moving forward in any manner with this after the class unless you are willing to make this a lifestyle decision, not just a one-time thing. This has to become... What you do and who you are, it can't become just people going in and making later decisions that could affect others. And he taught us that if you're not ready to constantly monitor your situation, I meaning he used the example of going into a restaurant, knowing where the exits are, right? Knowing how to get in and out, who's around you, what what kind what type of crowd is it? Um, always keeping your eyes open and ears for anything that could be dangerous or cause trouble down the road. And I generally already do that, but I think this staying ready and not, you know, so you don't have to get ready is kind of like that. Look around the court. You're always always looking what's happening around me. I had a situation this past weekend on the court. I had a player who leaned about one didn't even move her feet just leaned a little bit to one side. I saw it put a ball behind her, super easy. Right, we're just doing a double drill and it was such a minor thing that I happened to see that her upper body just leaned. It leaned just a little bit to the right, so I was able to hit behind her because I was looking for it. And we talked to the group about why did I make that shot look so easy? It's not because I'm good. I don't hit a very good ball anymore, but I saw the lean and once you have that lean, I've got it. So as you play, don't be getting ready all the time. Just stay that way. Sort of a constant state of, of what's happening around you. I think could help a whole lot. I think it's another one of the good ways. Just sort of a constant thing. Um, so I want to get back to, I've mentioned it before, that bothers me a little bit about social media tennis. And some of you may not be on it, but if you're on a podcast, you might look around, but so I'm, I'm scrolling around. I think it was Facebook or Instagram. And I see a well-known tennis instruction site with a headline of click here to, learn the, to um, learn the mystery to winning more matches. And it drives me insane. What is that? There is no mystery. It's not a mystery. You guys, if you're listening to this, you know what it is. It's hard work, it's time. It's finding good coaches. It's playing matches. It's hitting on the ball machine. It's all of those things. There's no mystery to it. There's no mystery box that you can open and any coach can tell you, Oh yeah, we can fix that now. That's insane. Drives me drives me crazy. We don't that, that short term stuff doesn't work for me. And I don't see I don't see how that works. Another one, different site. It's was, unlock the magic to serving. There's magic in there? Is David Copperfield my coach? There is no magic. It's all the stuff I mentioned. Find yourself a good coach. Go out on your own and practice your friggin' serve. Have the right grips. Build the right people around you, from whether it's coaches or, or friends or multiple coaches at clubs. Wherever you're at, it's time right? It's not watching videos on YouTube. It's hit the court, right? But there's the magic to serving. I wish there was magic. I'm glad there's not because if there was magic, I would not have a job and I would end up in that cardboard box. Um, Another one posted a letter from a player who was struggling to find a good coach. And the person in charge of this was talking about how this happens all the time and there's not enough good coaches out there. And Uh, obviously as a coach I'm not real I don't really agree with that but it was a real discussion on there about why most coaches aren't any good well I think maybe it's the players maybe that player has to look a little harder for the right one maybe they have to be a little more flexible in how they learn there's other things to it yes you gotta find somebody but a good coach there's lots of them I know lots of them they might not be the right coach for you but there's a lot of people out there and that will spend the time with you and so if you're if you're a social media person please watch out for those mysteries and unlocking the magic and the one second forehand fix that's that's i've been at this for jeez i started teaching tennis lessons when i was about 15 carrying a bucket around for 7 dollars an hour and i am not 15 anymore so we're talking 30 some years that I've been doing this and, you know, a lot at a professional level, I guess. I have no magic. If I did, I would be Nick Bollateri. I wouldn't be sitting in my basement with my cat climbing all over my laptop because it's not magic. It's get your butt on the court and let's practice. Let's find the right people around you and work to find the right people as much as you do um, on your strokes. It's a challenge. You might have multiple coaches in your life. You might have them at once. Pick the ones that you feel like are working hard for you and are building that relationship with you. Or just go on social media, take a couple seconds, and you'll go out and be a five zero in no time, I guess, based on all this other stuff. Um, so I talked before. Totally different. I am terrible at connecting my topics. So here's how I do it. I have a Google Doc. And over the course of between podcasts, I just write notes in it. No particular order. They're just random. And then when I go back and do the podcast, it's kind of random. And then I realized after I switched from things that that was a really bad, um, they call it a segue, right? Well, I decided against those. I'm just going to be random thoughts. And one of my favorite shows on earth, The Great British Baking Show, I just finished the most recent season. It's it's several months old, but I was saving it until it got cold and had to be inside a little bit. So if you listen to it, I'm about to tell you who won. So turn your volume down or stop listening to me if you don't want to know because I'm about to tell you. So her name was Sibira, and she's uh, so she won the whole thing. It's, uh, I don't know, beat out a dozen people, something like that. After every time she won a week the star baker, right? Or won one of the challenges. She would always say the same thing. Super nice, happy. She would always say, it's a clean slate now. Every single time. She enjoyed the winning, but it's over. She has to start over the next week because things don't accumulate there. Each week is, is separate. So she'd say, it's a clean slate after every victory she had. She ends up winning. And I just think it's a great way to look at every single point you play. Points over, done. Clean slate, where's the next ball? Whether it's coming from a coach or an opponent. Somebody serves, points over, start over, clean slate, we move on. As much as possible. And then you use, you know, obviously you use history and things that have happened in the past. But you've got to be able to move on quickly to that next ball and that next point every single time. So I'd like you all to be more like Sibira. I think that's, that's how you say it. I don't know how to spell it. I have it spelled with a bunch of E's couple of hours maybe I should post my notes because they're a little they're a little funky but be a little bit more like Sibera with letting things letting things go quite a bit um, lastly really exists that you know it's gonna be fairly short today um, I just wanted to talk a little bit about execution versus strategy so I think there's some differences in how they How they mingle, I guess. So I think one of the toughest lessons you can have as an athlete, I guess as a human in general, is that there are times when you can do everything correctly, everything right, exactly like you were taught to do it, and it still doesn't work. You still fail. And I think that's a really tough lesson to learn is going full blast doing everything you know to do, and it still doesn't work. And I'd say a lot of players struggle with that, and that's why they they don't improve quickly is because they take that failure and they throw all the good stuff out and they go do something else. And that's not going to work. And just understanding the difference. Was it a strategy mistake or an execution mistake? If the strategy is good stick with it. Don't change it just because you screwed up a shot or two. We make that shot, we gotta make that shot better. So many players will miss a ball and on court with me, and I will tell them I'm always saying the same thing. You did everything right, do it again. It's a great choice. You just screwed up. It's one of the, probably my most top ten common things I say on a tennis court is, you just screwed that up. You did it right, but you messed up the the shot. Let's do it again. Keep putting yourself in that position. You gotta stay with it. Bad strategy, I believe, can lead to poor execution. If you got bad strategy, generally you're gonna put yourself in a more difficult place, which causes your shot to be more challenging, higher chance to execute a proper swing. So as you're playing, ask yourself, Did, did I do everything right? Am I standing in the right place? Did I hit it to the right location? Did I choose the right spin, the right height, the right pace? If the answer is yes to all of those, do it again. Just, all right, So I messed up. Let's get after it again. Same thing next time. Not, well, I missed one. I better completely throw this out and do something else because now you're, you're just headed down a path of um, repairing things all the time. I mentioned to a player, that, a group of players this week, that they should all be paramedics or EMTs because they are constantly are trying to fix everything all the time. Every shot, every swing. If it's not successful, they'll fix it. Fix it. Even if it is successful, they'll tell me why it was bad. And they could just run around with their little first aid kit fixing everything. Sometimes you don't need to fix it. Sometimes it's okay. You just you just gotta you just gotta let it go and not be so like i mentioned before don't be so hard on yourself um because that's a such an exhausting way to spend your time on the tennis courts um and then lastly i know i haven't talked much about it recently but um you know the WAC just hosted a huge pickleball tournament It was a one-day event i think 164 entries and i was not involved in it a lot um other than sort of helping answer some questions and try to give some some good advice, but I wasn't directing it. I wasn't hands on in the tournament, but I was there and watched. And um, it's a big deal: 165 people paying sixty bucks a piece in one day on. I think I think they lined 20 courts, and you look over at the tennis courts and the courts that were being still being used for tennis, and the most you would have is four in that space. And my buddy Will East, he put 20 courts on three courts. I mean, it was it was amazing. So when you look at it that way, you see why pickleball is the thing right now. But I also understand why tennis is... I think tennis is starting to slow the growth just a bit because of the... I think the benefit to tennis is now going to turn slowly and it's going to be it's quieter. It's less people. I get to play more. It's not as chaotic. It's calmer when you're on that tennis court. And I think over time we might see it shift a little bit back towards tennis because when you walk onto the pickleball courts with you know 20, 80 people playing all at once, it's chaos. The noise and the all that stuff. It's really cool looking but you walk over the tennis courts and it's kind of like oh this is nice it's quiet and calm and peaceful and there's four people instead of 40 and i think that's a benefit the tennis is going to have and probably have to use and find a way to steal that and say look at us we're the we're the calm ones we have nice peace and quiet over here you get to hit more balls less Less chaos, I guess. But it's just something something that I watched a little bit. I am still teach a lot of pickleball. I don't play hardly at all. I wish I got to play. But teaching it, I'm enjoying because of the quick improvement, like instant improvement. Um, I'm still learning how to take long-term improvement. That's where I have to get better at. So I'm working on it. But anyway, thanks, everybody, for listening. I think that's it for a while. Hoping to have a couple guests on coming up in 2023 so um, I'll talk to you all soon peace out